Warning, this podcast contains spoilers. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers. Let's go watch it in 2D. No, let's go watch it in 3D. But if we watch it in 3D, then is it worth the cost? Gene, why don't you start at the beginning? Something's happened to me. Something I can't control. And it scares me. It feels good. She'll kill us all. A girl dies. Get down! Are you threatening me? Because that would be a bad idea. Dark Phoenix, June 7th. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adolf Vega. I have with me Jake Jarvis. Welcome. And today we're doing a spoilerific review of Dark Phoenix, the latest X-Men movie, and potentially the last. I mean, the next one is going to be New Mutants, which I'm, we're both kind of agreeing that that's probably not going to be in the X-Men universe. It's going to be like its own thing, and, you know, I wouldn't probably be surprised if they just give up and put on Hulu and not have a theatrical release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of the X-Men stars will be in that movie at all. So it's going to be an island onto itself, I think. But we'll see. There have been surprises in the X-Men universe, including this movie. So this is a spoiler podcast, and we're going to have a spoiler full-on discussion on everything that happens. If you don't care about being spoiled, continue on. If you do, then pause it and listen to our spoiler-free version and we'll probably have spoilers on um, Last Stand and the rest of the X-Men movies as well. So you've been warned. You've been warned. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers. All right, so let's start this movie off where it begins with a very young Jean Grey in a car, um, which is just me, or is there like a, a thing with cars and accidents being like a way to introduce stories with superhero movies lately uh yeah i think that's because almost everybody has a car almost everybody's experienced a car accident so it's a very morbid thing but it's very relatable so yeah um jean it's in the 70s and she is a little kid i don't know the age i think seven six what do you think yeah, uh, no more than eight tops, but I don't even think she's that old. So, um, you know, they're having an argument with the music playing and the mom and dad, and, you know, Jean wants to change the channel and, you know, basic stuff, and she can't control it, and she causes the music to change, and then that causes her mom to, I mean, it, it kind of makes like a, a psychic energy pop out of her, and she inadvertently causes a car accident where her mother dies and her father is okay but not um pretty scared pretty shook up mm-hmm. we later see that the scene um is a connection to the future um which you know we're gonna jump around a little bit um just because it's a little bit easier to how we're gonna do it than you know jumping around in the movie wise but we do eventually find out that uh, Professor Xavier learns about this. I don't know how. Cerebro. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, 
That could be explaining anything. <laughs> hey, there's a reason we didn't give this movie a 10. <laughs> That's one of them. Anyway, so <laughs> Xavier finds out about this and wants to take care of her, of Jean. And um, so the dad is still alive and he's like, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't like her. I don't want to be a dad. Just total dick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a bigger dick towards his daughter than uh, Magneto was towards Mystique in uh, X-Men 3, Last Stand. And in fairness, he is scared and doesn't know what to do with her. So it makes sense. All right. You know mutants? Let you go. You know? That's fine. Yeah. So the dad, you know, has an agreement that with Xavier that she will assume that he died too. So that way um, she, he could be fully, she could be fully part of the X-Men and that, you know, and she has trouble dealing with this trauma. So Xavier puts up mental walls in her psyche and uh, that block out the knowledge of him being alive and that basically protect her. So, we then jump forward to then the contemporary day, which is 1992, I think. Mm hmm And um, there's a space shuttle that flies up and um, has an accident, or they see a cosmic entity or anomaly or something in the air, in the space, and they call up the X-Men for help. And the X-Men go up there and... To a really fun use of the X-Men, you know, you get a really cool scene with um, Nightcrawler and Quicksilver, like, transporting over to the shuttle and using super speed to grab everyone, transport everyone back. I really like that scene. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Um, they uh, brilliantly fudged uh, the 3D because uh, this is something you could not have shot naturally. This is one of the reasons why I've given up on the, all the hate I had for conversions. Besides the fact it looked good, they made it look interesting by just creating depth where you couldn't actually film depth because you would be too far away to actually do it. But it just looked awesome. And this, the way they had the stars and the all the gases and stuff, I mean... They just made it look good. I mean, and it's like, wow. And when the space shuttle goes up, like the, I think it was like the, I don't know, the, the exhaust, I guess that's a good word for it, from the space shuttle was like popping out and flying out. It was like awesome to see that. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. The actual take up, though, was really flat. That was why I didn't give it, why I didn't give this editor's choice. That was just enough. That and there was an, a couple other interior scenes where the 3D looked a little bit cut out, but they were just quick dialogue scenes, and then they just were off. They didn't linger on the shot, so I figure that's why the 3D wasn't done as intensely as it was in other shots, because it was such a small shot. So we're going to be talking about the 3D element throughout. Um, we did talk about 3D element in the in the spoiler-free review, but it, it's kind of harder to talk about it without spoilers. And so we're going to talk about it here off and on. Uh, just in case you did not listen, we both love the 3D here. We both think it's great. Definitely recommend it. So let's continue on. 
So um, they get everyone back, and President is, is really excited, and it's like wants to get Xavier, you know, uh, a medal and have a presentation, and Xavier's eating it up, and the rest of the X Men are just like, okay, whatever, <laughs> right? And, yeah. But they're having a party at, at the mansion, and like they have Dazzler there singing, which is like, okay, cool. We don't actually mm-hmm. get her name or anything, right? Yeah, you don't need Dazzler uh, has such a distinct look. Uh, you know uh, exactly uh, who she is. Now, th- there's some other, uh, throughout the movie, there's other uh, characters from the schools, and some of them are in um, Magneto's camp. You'll see mutants. Uh, I mean, Bishop is obvious, but a lot of the others, they're arguing, like at the rave that Dazzler's performing at. Some think that's Match. Other people think it's Pyro. And there's so many other characters he could be, but since he's not identified, who knows? And there's lots of characters in the school. Like if you know, like like Kitty Pride supposedly shows up. If you blink, you'll miss her. Uh, but she's never identified. But the assumption is that's Kitty Pride. And uh, Jubilee's absence that I could notice. Yeah. Well, what else is new in the X Men movies? Which is sad, because I like her. I liked her in the X-Men cartoon, and they kind of forget about her in the movies, or, you know, Apocalypse, they had her in the movie for, like, five minutes or something. Yeah, it figures. Apocalypse is the one she's in. So, um, you know, everyone's having a party, and then Jean is here, and she kind of just is not able to control her new powers, because when she was up there... The way they saved everyone was that she basically stood, stayed back and absorbed the spatial anomaly and then was able to come back and come back unscathed. And, um, you know, she's had a scene in space where I was like, wait, she's in complete space. And, you know, how did she not survive? And you just have to let that go. Right. Mm-hmm. So she absorbed the a spatial anomaly and now she can't control the power and like she had like a big blast, and a lot of people are hurt. No one's dead at the you know mansion, but they do tell Xavier, and Xavier is like, "All right, let me head back over there." And he, you know he's doing everything fine, mm-hmm. and um, you know you do get some fights with. Um, oh, don't forget! We also find out that Xavier can no longer read Jean's uh, mind. Uh, and apparently hasn't been able to for quite a while. So that's nice to tell the other, to not tell the other students this. Oh, by the way, Jean's too powerful now for me to read her mind. Uh, and the implication is that he also can't control her. Not that he should have been controlling her, because like I said, consent is a big deal of what's going on in this movie. Yeah, and uh, Mystique is here, and she's pissed off that, um, you know, Xavier sent him on the mission, and it was too dangerous, and, you know, he's getting all the credit, and she was kind of whiny in this a little bit. I understand what she was saying, but uh, I kind of I felt like Jennifer Lawrence is just kind of tired of this, and she was kind of happy to end the, the series. Yeah, I just think, uh, I think she played it well. I mean, uh, I mean uh, Raven had every right to be pissed. I mean... The the tagline for this should have been Mystique was right. 
so you know we you know we get back with Gene and you know they try Gene like passes out after like an explosion and Xavier tries to go into Cerebro and tries to go into her mind. Obviously, this is a problem because she is not consenting to this. And mm. the guy, everyone there is like, wait, 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 this is not okay. This is not okay, Xavier. This is not okay. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. More power. It's like, okay, more power. I'm going to go into her mind if she was like, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's like borderline mental rape. Yeah. Actually, I wouldn't call it borderline, but I think he he crossed the line. Yeah, I mean, psychic energy, it's just a different kind of, you know, I don't know what the term would be to enter someone's mind without their consent. But basically, it's psychotic, you know, basically, it's that, you know, to, mm -hmm. not, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at the very minimum, he's gaslighting her with all the mental blocks and, you know, altering her reality. Uh, stuff like when psychiatrists do this to their patients, it never ends well. So that's when the audience reveals that your audience is revealed that that's when we see that Xavier put up the walls and she doesn't know that her father's still alive and that she he purposely controlled her. and. The attempt is good. I'll give him credit there. That I feel like he was trying to help her the way he thought he could. It was the wrong way of doing it, but his rationale was good. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If my thought on this was when she was out of control. Okay, the mental blocks because of how powerful she was, and there was no other. The issue really became is when she became older, he really needed to take the blocks off and tell her the truth and help her navigate through it. Exactly. Before there was a problem. And that's where, you know, there's a big conflict. And the movie actually handles this conflict. And I actually like how it was handled that, you know, Beast chews out Xavier and really makes him like, hey, this is not okay what you did. And same thing with um, Raven. And, you know, it makes Xavier into a different character, an Im morally ambiguous character. He's not just a pure good guy, but he has come, you know, he's complicated. And I don't want to say this is to make him a bad guy. I just think it makes him morally bankrupt, but still in a good way. It's It's kind of a complicated thing where... It's a gray area where he was trying to help, but it was a very disgusting way of helping. You know, not a very... When she's old enough, you know, she should have said something, but he didn't, and let her live the lie. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's going to pay for this. So, um, Jean goes away, tries to go meet with her father, and... Um, which apparently um, she lives at the same place where they were when they were growing up. And then this alien comes um, and attacks a family or I guess a group of people in a dinner party and like assumes mm -hmm. their roles. And um, we don't really know what this alien was about or anything. And eventually figure out the name of the main alien is Volk. 
And um, I already figured that out because I think they said it once on screen, but I had to dig it up on IMDb and see who the hell she was. Yeah, and they're the Dabari, which they only mentioned like once offhanded. But to remember that, I had to go look it up on IMDb as well. Which I think is the worst part of this movie, is that character. I really, really don't like her. Uh, I think it was, uh, obviously, these were supposed to be the scrolls. Because the way their power set is obviously, they seem to be the scrolls. But I'm not going to speculate why they didn't use them. But they didn't. It is what it is. Uh... I think the villains in this movie function like uh, villains do in the MCU. They're more of a MacGuffin, a plot-forwarding device, and a punching bag for the hero. The real villains in the MCU movies tend to be the heroes overcoming them their own mental turmoil. This is just... This version of that kind of trope is more externalized with the Jean Grey. And I agree with you. It, basically, they're, uh, you know, the whole excuse for Volk and there, they explain some exposition to, so you can know what the hell that cloud or that space anomaly was, and they give her something to try to kill. And I honestly think, first of all, I don't like the character. I don't like the backstory. I don't like the actress. I don't like her at all. And um, I think they could have made this story without that character completely, and it would have been a different movie. But you still could have had like eighty percent the same story. Oh, I basically agree. Uh, I mean, I like Jessica Chastain. Uh, I know a lot of people don't. Uh, her character was okay, but I think anybody could have been in that part, and almost any character could have been in that part. Uh, they, I mean, offhandedly mentioned, "Oh, the Phoenix Force uh, destroyed our world, and we want to." Uh, get control of it to make ourselves great again. So I'm like going, oh, great. We've got now Trump aliens. So, um, yeah, the one thing about this, that before we get further in here, they mentioned the Phoenix at the very end of Apocalypse, and that was a MacGuffin to save Apocalypse. <laughs> Out of nowhere, you know, um, Xavier tells Jean, use the power, and she uses the power of the, of the Phoenix and kills because they had nothing else to do, no other way to stopping Apocalypse. So that's how she uses it. And they don't mention that scene at all. Yeah, folks, this is another reason why we didn't give this movie a 10. So the continuity here with the other X-Men Universe movies is, is all out of whack. But, I mean, it's always been out of whack. And I feel like this one is kind of weird because it's very self-contained. Um, and, you know, the... All the characters are supposed to be like 10 years older or something. Maybe not exactly 10, but, you know, the Apocalypse was in the 80s, and then um, everything that happened in X-Men First Class was like the 60s, and they all looked to basically the same age. Mm -hmm. Well, we do know they changed the timeline because uh, of Days of Futures Past. Well, and it looks like Steve Rogers also jumped into this timeline and messed this one up, too. So, I mean, okay, I could, I could give it some slack about the characters here, um, not aging, but it just, it's just, it's really weird when they already mentioned the Phoenix in Apocalypse and they're just dropping all that. Like, they don't mention anything that happened in Apocalypse, really, you know, but whatever. I mean, I know Apocalypse is a, is a bad movie or worse movie. Yeah. But... yeah. 
uh, no, I would still give that to Last Stand as being the worst X. No, yeah, actually, I would rate it worse than um, Wolverine Origins. But let's let's get back to the main story here. So Jean goes back to find her dad and then talks to her, him, and his dad basically is just a dick again to her and like does not apologize, mm. doesn't try to be good or anything. Yeah, scared, angry. Uh, has it, he's still going through the seven stages of grief and hasn't processed them. Uh, but he was an adult. I mean. This was a conversation that should have happened probably 10 years previously dealing with this as adults and mature people and uh, powers be damned. Uh, I mean, you just, this, is, this is the type of stuff you just don't do to people. Yeah, and um, so she kind of goes berserk and the X-Men come by and they try to stop her and have a big fight. And you have here a Quicksilver moment where... He's trying to stop her, and she kind of goes through his super speed and, like, still able to hurt him, and he trips. And I actually really like how this battle worked. I actually really like all the action scenes in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was uh, better. Uh, Remember that scene in Justice League where Superman is watching the Flash go fast? This is like that, except even better. There's a payoff to it. Um, we forgot to mention in the space scene where Cyclops is used, and um, Cyclops is actually a, m- a major character in this movie where he's always been a side character. But like, like, oh, shoot the, you know, shoot the, shoot the, what is it called, the, the shuttle to help it. And they're like, well, how are you going to shoot it if you know? And they're like, oh, go into the contraption and then use your beam like a laser. It's like, oh, that's actually clever. I actually really like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's filled with all sorts of nice little uh, things like that. You know, nice little bits and and touches. So, um, you know, eventually Phoenix kind of flies away. And there's a no one was... Well, okay. There was one death here that is of mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence as uh, Mystique or Raven. And she tries... To, you know, their Beast has a kill shot on her, but Xavier says, no, let Raven try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he mentally puts a hold on uh, Beast, which was also not cool. Not cool, but I actually give him respect for giving Beast a chance with and, and Raven, you know? Mm-hmm. But he should have just talked to Beast and said, no, please don't do it. Instead of just, yeah, because Xavier just reads people's minds, just controls them, doesn't even think twice about it. Uh, I would say at this point, Xavier is every bit as out of control as Jean Grey is. Yeah, and she, um, Jean can't control herself and attacks Raven, and like she basically has the same kind of death as uh, Wolverine with a whole bunch of debris going through her belly or whatever, and she doesn't really get a good last line or anything either. It's kind of just sad. It's just shocking, and which, and this really is what drives what happens. I mean, this is like uh, the big, this is what's going to drive everything forward. Because basically, uh, the Brotherhood and the X-Men are going to start going through the seven stages of grief. So, 
they eventually head back home because Phoenix flies away and they don't know where she is. And a lot of people are hurt. You know, obviously Raven's dead, but, you know, Quicksilver is, is pretty hurt. He, you know, he trips at super speed and gets banged up. So Quicksilver is out of the movie, which is convenient and actually a decent way to take him out, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they head on back, and then that's when Beast, you know, is like, really chewing out Xavier and you know Xavier wants to take a drink and he was like no you need to realize what's going on here and I thought that was a great scene mm-hmm. exactly because he's uh, trying to cope he's yeah Xavier's overwhelmed uh, he's making bad decisions uh he's a he's addicted he's addicted to the fame monster yeah another thing we should mention the X-Men are superheroes they're super popular They've got a fan base. Kids dress up as them. They cheer them on when they go on missions. I mean, they're like, yay, the super group. Yeah, they're like the Avengers in uh, this timeline world. And, you know, I, I actually kind of appreciate that. I think it worked how they did it. And then after, you know, Jean kind of wrecks her dad and wrecks the little neighborhood the government's now against them, and legitimately so. <laughs> yeah, it 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 moves a bit fast for my tastes, but you know, it is what it is. It, the like I like I've already said before several times in this podcast. Th- there's a reason why we didn't give this movie straight up ten because there's all sorts of little things we felt were fleshed out more. Or they were a little more connective tissue to. And the government just turning on the mutants on a snap of a finger was one of those. We do get Volk try and talk to the dad and get more information on Gene. And, and, you know, it just kind of, it's kind of just a weird little thing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. then we see Gene fly off to meet Magneto and um, with his compound. And there's a really good scene there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way they make. Uh, was it um, Genish? How do they pronounce it? Genisha, the mute. They t- basically made the mutant city instead of this big sprawling city. Which how in the hell would they have the resources to do that? They did it with uh, made it like a tiny house village, which where I live, they're li- these type of little neighborhood kind of with little houses are all over the place because people really love these little houses that are like 200 square foot and yeah and and uh and uh michael fassbender was a boss in this scene when he comes flying out crotch first to see uh uh gene gray and when he kept asking her over and over again whose blood is this and Gene wouldn't answer him. Yeah, I love that. And Fastbender's a fantastic Magneto. Uh-huh. And I love it when he, when he, when they, after um, they leave, you know, because he, you know, he listens to her and then he dismisses her, uh, you know, tells her to leave. Uh, and I think he did that because he knew Gene could go back to Xavier. But the people at the compound, they had no place else to go. And he had to look after them. And he knew he couldn't take care of them with Gene there. And the government comes over and tries to 
um, you know, to have an action scene with the try and take over um, Jean, and Jean ba- almost wrecks everything, and Magneto's the one that kind of saves that from being worse. Oh, yeah, and I love the scene where they're just flexing their hands, you know, one of the stupidest tropes in sci-fi, the psychic, and, they, you know, they touch their forehead. You've seen them for dozens and dozens and dozens of movies, and your eyes roll because it looks so stupid. But this is like the first movie that I've really seen that when they're just doing the hand motions, that it just is so believable. I mean, you actually can follow the fight when they're trying to do that helicopter, Magneto versus Jean Grey. And it was amazing. It was pure, you know, that, this, is, this, this is like acting uh, Olympics. I mean, wow. I was, that just like floored me how good that was. Yeah, we get a better one a little bit later, and the the audience cheered, and I will cheer too there when you get there. Mm-hmm. But um, so Magneto is like, "What's going on here?" And we do eventually get Hank or a Beast um, leave and go over there and talk to him, and um, you know, we're still <laughs> Xavier tries to use Cerebro to try to find her, and um, they, they I guess they don't notice that uh, Beast leaves the compound. And tries to find, yeah, and then um, they figure out. Oh, they're trying to go back to New York, which is kind of I was kind of lost about how they figured out where she was going to go to. Yeah. And um, anyway, they use um, Nightcrawler to like teleport to New York, and um, then the Magne- Magneto's crew is over there already, and Volk is there. And Volk is talking to Jean, and like, oh, I could, if you give me your powers, I would just take all all this weight away. Oh, and we did get a scene where Jean is crying because she realizes that she's killed Mystique, and you look down on that scene from a really high perspective, and it's raining, mm-hmm. and it, the three D is so good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the now it's a three D. The cinematography in this is really good too. Uh, there's there's just so many beautiful shots in this. Uh, I mean, it's this is a really nice looking movie. I mean, you can just sit back and just let it wash over you. It's so beautiful. And you know, I feel like you know, I really have a lot of empathy for Jean here. I I, I really feel mm-hmm. for her because she's not controlling this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sophie Turner really handles the. I mean, she she treats this as. Uh, Jean Grey is mentally ill, which is a really good take on this because, I mean, the trauma, look, she's had, she suffered this trauma and because of Xavier's actions, she's never been able to process the trauma of losing her, uh, her mother to death and her dad to fear. Uh, she's never ha- had to grow up mature. So it's, she's getting hit by all of that, plus the plus killing Raven, plus having these powers she doesn't understand and can't control. So she's getting hit with everything at once. Yeah, and I think she does great here. I really like her. I, I, I never really liked her that much in the other movies, but she, you know, she's a star of this, and she holds it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Sophie Turner knocks it out of the park in this. So, uh, you know, Magneto is like, okay, get out of our way, Xavier. We have to kill her. And, you know, they have a fight scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, 
Yeah, he says, I know whose blood that is, which was a beautiful line to tie that back. And Xavier, you know, understands it, but Magneto, you know, has the equal amount of relationship with Mystique. So he loves her too, not in like a physical way, but like in a daughter way, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's one of the things in uh, about Last uh, Stand when uh, Mystique uh, takes the dart, you know, to you know to save Magneto to make sure he doesn't lose his powers. Magneto wouldn't have done that to Mystique. Just says you're not one of us anymore and leave. Because I actually walked out of the theater, and I didn't even see the end of Last Stand until years and years later, and. Guess what? It still sucked. And, you know, Fastbender makes a convincing argument. Just kill her off. She can't control it. It doesn't do anything. And I was like, you know what? Magneto's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he, Of course, I also thought he, he should have said, and while we're at it, let's take out Xavier, too. And, you know, Xavier does try. And then they have a good fight scene there with a... a and um, this... Mutant with hair extensions that just like is like an octopus. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, there were. Uh, I remember Bishop, but I didn't remember him moving his hair around. It was like this character with like dreads, and like the dreads were like snakes that you control. And um, okay, oh, oh yeah, I remember her because I was thinking, didn't she? Wasn't she in the Matrix? <laughs> and um, you know, you get. A lot of Nightcrawler here, and um, you get a lot of uh, Cyclops, and Cyclops is pissed too. And you know he's trying to help her, and you know they get to a scene with you know Xavier going into there, and Cyclops going into there, and like Volk like absorbing her powers or something. And um, eventually, Jean says, you know, takes out Cyclops. At least not, you know, he doesn't kill her, but it just kind of puts him out of commission. And then he's like, she's like, oh, come up here. Come up here. You could walk. And then she makes him walk. And that was such a cringy scene. Oh, God. And the thing is, yeah, this was a cringy, cringy scene. Uncomfortable. Uh, because it's the consent again. She's now crossed the same line that's been crossed uh, with her. So, yeah. And it's just... Ugh. It, it it made me feel uncomfortable, but in a, a way that worked for this movie, I think it worked. I think it that that's what they were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly, I think it succeeded. I think the point might have been lost, uh, because some of the jumping back and forth, uh, with things. But uh, like I said, it was it's exactly what Jean did to Xavier. Exactly what he had did to her, uh, with the consent. You know, doing things to her without consent. So, um, she eventually does, like, Volk gets, like, an explosion, and she's like, no, I want to keep these powers, and Volk has some of the powers, and she gets thrown away, and, you know, Jean is, you know, trying to talk to Xavier, and I'm like, no, I want to be helpful, and then the government comes in, because it all kind of hurt, and takes all of them. And like puts them in a train mm -hmm. to take them to somewhere, which I wasn't clear where they're going. Oh, they kind of mentioned just offhandedly that they were taking them to upstate New York. So I imagine it's kind of the same place they had sent uh, Deadpool. 
Oh, yeah, that prison for mutants or whatever in Deadpool 2. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, then you get the scene where Volk and their crew are attacking the train, and all the X-Men are tied up, all the Magneto's crew are tied up, and they're like, let us go. You can't handle these alien things. And none of them let him go. And, um... Yeah, and Xavier finally realizes what a douche he is and apologizes. And uh, this fight scene here is just... I love it. I love this train scene so much. Oh, and the 3D is amazeballs. This is one of the three... This is now in my top three uh, train scenes. And I can't decide which of these movies number one and two are, so right now they're all tied. Uh, Von Ryan's Express, Snowpiercer, and this. This is such an amazeball train scene. And, you know, every, you know, they try to stop folk, they try to do everything, and all the humans are killed off. And then one human is actually cool and lets everyone free because he knows they're not going to win. So uh, then everyone gets free, and they, you know, they can't, they still can't stop them, even with the powers. Oh, and it's a cool Easter egg we should mention. Uh, the security guards, their patches, their, the organization is labeled MCU. I didn't catch that, huh? Mm-hmm. I about laughed my ass off in the theater. The X-Men are held hostage by the MCU. So, um, yeah, we have this action scene, and, you know, Volk is trying to attack from the top, and then all the little creature, mud creature things, which, you know, you can't shoot because... They, it just goes through them. So it's actually really kind of clever because how do you kill these things if you can't shoot them? And you can't, there's no headshots because they're all equal, you know, sand monster robot things or whatever. I don't know. And um, yeah. there's this one scene here with um, Magneto where he sees that there's a problem and then, like, uses his magnetic powers to kind of protect um, Phoenix, or, uh, Phoenix and Gene and. Xavier, and then he like basically crumples his hand and then tosses it like a piece of trash, and that crumples the um one of the carts of the train, and it was everyone in the theater was clapping, and it's like that was so perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, there were so many good Magneto moments. I mean, from him bringing the train car <laughs> to the. <laughs> When he shows up with a train car ex- escort, uh, when him just ver- moving various pieces of metal, you can just see the evolution. Uh, he was now bringing it to where Magneto was in the first X-Men movie, he was coming around. You know, that same swagger, that same control of his powers. Like, Fassbender just knocked it out. He got it and did it. And let's get back to Nightcrawler here, my buddy. I love Nightcrawler, I've always mm-hmm. have. Oh. And he, mm-hmm. you know, he sees that his friends are being hurt. And, you know, Nightcrawler is a pacifist. It's part of his religion. Mm-hmm. He's a hardcore Catholic. He doesn't want to fight. And whenever he sees that his friends and his everyone else is getting destroyed, he unleashes. And when he unleashes, he's a badass. I love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can see he's going through the stages of grief, too. So he's taking out some of his anger on the Davari, and he's teleporting him into danger, and I loved it. It was awesome. 
I've been wanting to have a scene like this since the first time I've seen, you know, Nightcrawler in X2, and you never really get it, and it always kind of teased, but finally Nightcrawler is a great character, and is Mm -hmm. really, you know, what's one of the things I mentioned in my written review, that I love how they use the X-Men's powers in this, the action's so much fun. Mm. Oh, this movie, this has so much going for it, I mean, I love the, we get the most comic accurate uniforms too in this movie. So ultimately, the whole train thing doesn't work out, and then they get you know to like this field or something, and Volk you know is trying to um, like attack Phoenix, and Phoenix is just like literally dusting people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't even need an Infinity Gauntlet. She's just. You know, she's Thanos and people left and right, you know, just on a thought. And she sees that she's doing it accidentally to Cyclops, and Volk is like, let me have all the power, and he's like, no, and then that's, and then she flies up into space and says, no, I'm not weak, you know, you're weak because you're human and you have emotions, and and then it's like, no, I'm strong because I have emotions, which a lot of it felt like Captain Marvel. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Phoenix explodes and kills Valk in space, and then everyone else of the X-Men are just down below, and they're like, okay, now what? And, um, you know, Phoenix, like, turns into, you know, a actual, like, fire Phoenix in the sky mm-hmm. and flies away, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't know what really happens after that, but we get a scene at the very end with um, Xavier, or with the people going back to the school and they changed the name from Xavier school to Jean Grey. And I thought it was kind of weird. Well, the comics personally, I think they should have named it after mystique, but the comics, when Jean died, which I don't remember which time she died, they, they changed the name of the school after Jean. And it's fitting because Xavier has proven that he's not, fit to be the kind of headmaster, which he isn't anymore. And then they have a scene with uh, Magneto and uh, Xavier trying to play chess, which I, I think is a great nod to X-Men 2. To the first movie. Yeah, exactly. The, the chess match in the first one. And, um, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with your life? And he doesn't know. And I lo- I've always loved that Professor Xavier slash Magneto complex relationship where Magneto is not inherently a bad guy, but he does a lot of bad things because he can you know, he, it's one of those things where it makes him such a great character where, you know, he doesn't want to be, but it just pulls him back in to being bad, you know? Yeah. Well, well, Stan Lee based Magneto and Xavier on the relationship between Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Malcolm X. They both wanted the same things, but both came at it from different ideas. One wanted more peaceful, and one was willing to be more violent. Yeah, and I've, I've always liked Magneto. Both versions of Magneto, mm-hmm. both versions of Xavier, I love. Mm-hmm, exactly. Which is ultimately kind of sad, because like I don't want these characters to be reset, because obviously I think it would be really dumb to try to have these characters come back in the MCU. I think you just have to start fresh. You just have to start fresh. Yeah, well... Uh... With the the way fanboys have been whining and moaning about this movie, uh, 
I would I would not be surprised if we don't see the X Men in the MCU for ten years. No, I think I think they'll give them space. Like I think four years from now, they're just gonna. Oh, it'll be, oh, it'll be a lot more than four years. I think uh, Feige might have started putting them into things in four years. Uh, I don't even think he's gonna think about it until five. We'll see about that, but um. Uh, and I and I would also say we are never ever going to see another adaption of uh, Dark Phoenix, even though that storyline or the Phoenix storyline, uh, at least probably I would say it's going to be even longer than ten years before they'll hell Feige will probably by then ten years. I don't even think he'll be doing Marvel movies anymore. Yeah, I agree with that, especially because. Um, Dark Phoenix doesn't look like it's going to be that big of a box office hit in the U.S. at least, and it, like I think it's going to lose out to Secret Life of Pets too. So um, that's it's really disappointing. I think Secret Life of Pets too is not doing that great either, but it's doing better than Phoenix. So anyway, yeah, well, we're back to a box office slump, and rightfully so. Uh, I mean, the, most of the movies just aren't that great. Uh, I mean. I really uh, liked uh, this movie. Uh, I thought it was uh, uh, Simon Kinberg uh, succeeded with what he was trying to do. Uh, if you wanted a comic accurate version of the Phoenix Saga, uh -huh, you're never going to get it. So quit wanting it. Uh, the effects aren't there. I like the cosmetic effects of the Phoenix colors and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. This uh, and uh, yeah, and don't get me started about the Phoenix storyline, because uh, I mean, I really got tired of uh, I am evil incarnate, and and uh, and G and Jean Grey's like, oh, I'm evil, so I'm going to change to the green outfit today. Yeah, the Phoenix saga in the comics is like multiple volumes, and it gets really complicated. And I can, uh, and it's got some horrible. It's got some great art. And it has got some horrible art. I mean, uh, and it's and it's dr mostly drawn by an artist whose uh, name I'm not even going to mention because I just don't want to start any fights. But the guy can't draw a wheelchair to save his life. And what is he doing a story with a character who's in a wheelchair? And uh, he draws one face and two facial expressions. So... Not the biggest fan of the source material. Came back to this movie, um, you know, both of us knew coming in that this was not... Both of us were not looking forward to this. We put it nicely, one, because of trailers, and two, well, I, I didn't try to see it, but I did see the Rotten Tomatoes score of like 22% or something. And I was like, oh my god, what am I getting myself into? And then I was like, alright, I did what every reviewer should do when do, you don't care. You don't care what the rest of the review crew are saying. You just clean out your mind and try to enjoy the movie for what it is. And I was able to. Mm -hmm. I like this movie. I like it a lot. A lot more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This was a this was a pretty good movie. Uh, is it great? Uh, no. Uh, but it's not bad. It's a pretty good movie. Uh, I mean, I'm just you know, mind-boggled. I actually checked out a few reviews after I saw it because I was hearing the 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 scores on this. 
and it just seems like a whole lot of, I mean, some of them, the, the, the gripes are legitimate, but I've noticed a lot of the reviews I was checking out, uh, the people seem to have agendas they're wanting to push. Either it's, this violates my headcanon, or this isn't a comic-accurate version of the Phoenix Saga, which you honestly think they can do that in two hours? Are you kidding me? Uh, or they have an issue that this is not the MCU. This isn't Endgame. Well, duh. Uh, I just thought this was a... I mean, as the send-off goes, it's kind of a whimper, but I don't think this was meant to be a send-off. Uh, this is what happens when movies are in long production. Uh, things happen around them. This movie was not made to be the meant to be the end of the X-Men. I mean, th I'm sure when they started working on this and were filming, actually did principal photography, that the uh, Mar Marvel Disney deal wasn't even discussed publicly e amongst even the people working for the companies. So, uh, but here we are, and uh, and I don't even know what's going on with fandom. I mean, this it seems like this is being attacked. I mean, for. Reasons that are not the movies. This seems like there's just something else going on. I'm not sure what it is. I don't really care. Uh, because the bot, I'm a film reviewer, uh, slash critic, whatever. And I just call him as I see him. And I just saw a decent movie. And it doesn't deserve all the hate it's getting. And I call shenanigans on some of this hate. Uh, just like I call shenanigans on a lot of the crap with, uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I feel like, look, it has issues. I think Volk is a terrible villain. I think some of the dialogue is chunky and, and kind of crappy dialogue. You know, but there's issues. There's definitely issues, but I still like this a lot. I still, you know, we just in case you did not get our scores, we you both given this a 7. You're both equal here. Mm-hmm. 7, yeah. And since we, and we and we rate in whole numbers here, so a seven for me could be anywhere from um, a six point uh, five uh, to a seven point four, which I find a lot of genre movies tend to fall in that space, which is why a lot of them. That's why seven seems to be my go-to uh, rating for a lot of these movies. And the continuity errors are present. I'll give it that, too. I'll, I'll be mad at that. But the whole damn X-Men universe is continuity errors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and it almost seemed like a pot. And, like, uh, and they're like, oh, we got this all fixed with uh, Days of Future Past. Then Apocalypses. Hold my beer. I'm going to f*** all up again. So, yeah, it, it gets all messed up. And I don't really get it why there's a lot of hate for this, but um, I had a fun with it. I liked it. The action was a lot of fun. The story is good. The act, You know, it's fine. I don't get the hate, but whatever. <laughs> you know, we're not here to critique the critics, you know. Yeah, if you want to hate it, you know, haters going to hate. So, uh, if, look, if 
don't listen to the haters. Uh, you'll probably enjoy this. You'll probably enjoy it a lot. Just make up it's, your own mind. You know. You know. Yeah, make up your own mind. And if you s- decide you don't want to spend twenty bucks to see it in three D, and heck, if you take somebody, then that's forty for the tickets, and then plus concessions. I mean, crap. You've already spent a hundred bucks. Uh, maybe you decide you want to. Well, if you wait for streaming, you ain't going to see it in 3D. Uh, and if you wait for disc, uh, I hope you have an all-region player, because this is probably not getting a 3D U.S. release, unfortunately. But you might get lucky, and you don't have to have a region-unlocked uh, player. So you might be able to find a region-free uh, 3D Blu-ray if you decide. But you'll pay a lot more than 20 bucks for it, I pretty much guarantee Anyway, so that's going to be basically it for our spoiler uh, podcast of Dark Phoenix. We like it. I don't. We don't care what the rest of the world thinks. It doesn't matter. I feel like I'm an actual member of the X-Men right now. The whole world is persecuting me <laughs> because I like a movie. You know, sometimes we're going to like movies that other people hate. Sometimes we'll hate movies that other people love. It's just part yeah. of the business. Yeah, exactly. Uh if we all agreed on everything, this would be pretty boring a uh, world. All right, so that's it for us. Bye. Bye. All right, before this podcast ends, I want to give a thank you to my patrons. Right now, we have a one patron, which is David from Spain, and I want to thank you for your financial support. All right, so that's going to be it for this podcast. We now have a Patreon, and the link is in the description. Uh, thanks for watching. And we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They don't put it everywhere. Just look for us, 3D or 2D. And of course, review us on iTunes. And if you want to write us a letter, um, our email address is email3d or 2d at gmail.com. So that's going to be it. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.